One of the great pathways by which we get to our next level, by which we get to greater blessings, is by an experience of fear. But the right way to understand it is that the fear that I am experiencing is not solely to keep me in there, but rather, more importantly, it's to call me to a higher level. If you allow yourself to actually stare fear straight in the face and say, okay, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? Then you force yourself now to think of other options and other opportunities, and you do that. It's the undescribable, unknowable part of life that gets us so tripped up, and I really think that that's why we feed our fear. In order to grow, in order to achieve, you have to be jumping into the places that scare you. Welcome to the Spiritually Hungry Podcast, Episode 7. We are going to talk about fear and all things that come along with it. Are you excited? I am very excited. Are you scared? I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think now more than ever, this topic is relevant, especially with what we've been experiencing in the last few months from COVID to George Floyd's death, followed by the riots. And I think that fear is something that is always relevant, certainly, but because it's something we all experience. But now it seems to be the thing that is really driving a lot of people's behavior, mostly kind of negative behavior. We've shared the encounters that I've had with certain people. Just, I get it, they're scared. So let's talk about fear for a minute and what it is and how it feels. So I think you and I both hear people speak about their dreams very often, right? They come to us for advice, for conversation, and things that they want to be able to attain or to reach. But I don't think that people always realize that the things that get in their way from pursuing their goals, right? And they come armed with many excuses, right? They're too old, they're too young, they don't have enough money, um, it's not the right time. And basically those are excuses because in reality, what really stops people from reaching out and doing the things that they love is fear. So I'm gonna read a little section from my book to make us all feel familiar with what Fear. I felt a little bit inadequate doing this podcast after you've written the book on fear. Yes, uh-huh. Um, okay, I am the voice in your head that says you aren't good enough, not strong enough, not smart enough. I'm the one who keeps you small, who stills your tongue, who quiets your passionate voice. I am the one who stops you, who says no, who tells you to expect less because that's what you deserve. I make your hands tremble, your heart race, and your palms sweat. I keep you up at night and give power to your doubts. My name is fear. So in my book, I talk about three different types of fear. Do you want to hear about them, sweetie? I would love to hear about We've them. We've never had this conversation. We actually haven't had this conversation before. No. Not I've watched you give a few lectures on it, but we haven't had a conversation about it. So there are three types of fear. There's healthy fear, there's real fear, and there is illogical fear. Healthy fear is as it sounds. It is set up for our survival and our protection. It's what keeps us safe. So if we are going on a hike, and let's say I get too close to the edge of a cliff, besides you getting nervous, something internally will happen. I don't love heights. <laughs> will happen inside of me, which will make me step away, right? Same thing, if you put your hand over an open flame, you jump back, yes, I have a burn on my arm, because you know that you would get burnt. But there's also intuition that is connected to fear. and 
I don't know about you, but I have had many opportunities where I'm about to go into an elevator and I'm the only other one entering and there's somebody inside and something makes me feel uncomfortable and I decide to ride the next one. Have you ever had that feeling? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm trying to be honest. No. Why is that? That's, I don't know. That's Pe- people you. in the elevators don't scare me. But not in, but in small spaces that you couldn't yeah. necessarily get away from. I think from. for women, I think obviously it's more Perhaps. of a danger than for men usually. So yeah. it reminds me of the story of um, Carol Durant. The only thing that scares me about elevators is having to make conversation with people. <laughs> standing, there, standing there in the quiet, I think. It doesn't scare me, but it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. This is so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Really? When do you ever make conversation with anybody in an elevator? No, but you know, when you say the hello, and then if you're going up for two minutes on the elevator. That's what your phone is but, for. Yeah. Um, okay, the so worst is if it's somebody you slightly know. <laughs> <laughs> you have to keep the conversation until you get to their floor. Okay, um, we're going to talk about uh, Carol Durant. We're not talking about Michael Berg. So she's from Murray, Utah. And one day she was in a parking lot and she was approached by a police officer. And he said, your car has been broken into and we've apprehended the suspect and we found some items that were in your car and they're at the station. Will you come with me to identify them? So she got that feeling that I just explained in the pit of her stomach where she felt that it was absolutely the wrong thing to do. So she asked to see his badge and he provided one. So then she decided not to listen to her intuition, not to listen to that healthy fear that was kicking in and she got into his car. So they start driving down the freeway and she points out to him that they're going in the opposite direction of the station. And because she was already forewarned, right? Internally, she had one hand on the door handle and he is driving the car and with his other free hand, he's trying to handcuff her. So a fight ensues, she jumps out of the moving car, he stops the car, comes outside, they're fighting, and she miraculously escapes. Then a few days later, she's looking in the newspaper and she reads a story about a woman who was kidnapped and raped on the same day that that happened to her. And she looks at the picture because they caught the person that did this, and she recognized him as the police officer that she saw that day, and it was serial killer Ted Bundy. So this kind of healthy fear is something that we need. And and sometimes I get the question, well, how do you know, we can get into that a little bit later, but how do you know if it's healthy or not? Like you walk into a dark parking lot, right? How do you know? Do you want to know the answer to that? Tell me. So, I would say it's never, in those situations, it's probably never bad to have a little bit of a fear that's not, you know, you, can, you can't get hurt by having a little bit too much. Well, you're very cautious, yes. yes. But the truth of the matter is, if you have that fear every day, let's say you park your car there every day because that's where you work. Maybe you should park somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> you're funny today. My point is that if that fear comes up for you every day, it's not really your intuition, right? To know if it's your intuition really speaking to you, it's not based on something that happened in the past or it's not something you're worrying about the future, it's something you're feeling in the moment. And if that's the case, it's not gonna be happening every day of the week, right? Okay, so that's healthy fear. Then there is real fear, and that's based in reality. That's fear of things that do actually happen, like death and disease, um, losing our loved ones, our parents, right? These are fears that we all walk around with. But even with this kind of fear, it can be transformed into a motivator for growth. So let's say somebody fears getting a disease. Well, they can make better healthy choices, right? to exercise, to eat well, not to smoke, not to drink in excess, not to have too much sugar. Again, if somebody fears losing their parent, instead of ruminating around that negative thought all the time when you're with them, or not even telling them that you love them or not enjoying your time together, well, you have an opportunity to really make sure that time together is meaningful and purposeful and you are very clear about how you feel. 
Then the last is a logical fear, and that's the fear that we really get stuck in the most, and that is fear of spiders and heights and small spaces, um, fear of rejection, fear of failure. It's the thing that paralyzes us and stops us from actually creating the life that we want. It stops us from creating change, from pursuing our desires and our dreams. And that is the fear that we can all eradicate. Because I don't know if you remember, we were in London years ago before I wrote my book and I was giving a lecture on fear and I got lost in my Uber drive because you really shouldn't take Ubers in London. I know that now, right? It's a very, very specific grid and they have to study for years to learn it, right? Like three years, I think. And Ubers were new in the States. I took an Uber, a big mistake. We were going in circles and I started to get really nervous that I was going to be late for my lecture. And this woman was on the radio and she's talking about fear and she had some callers and they're like, oh, you know, thank you so much. You really helped me cope with my fears or you helped me learn to live with my fears. And I started to get really annoyed. I'm like, no, this is all backwards because we really want to be able to eradicate fear. And again, there are certain aspects of certain types of fear that can be useful. But the the 99% of the time where we are consumed with in the day is illogical fears. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Kabbalistically we know that it is true fears is true for so many things that the question always has to be, whatever I am experiencing, is it propelling me to do something, to change, to grow, like you said, or is it just paralyzing me? And I think one of the ways to know that it's something we want to eradicate is when it's something that is causing us into, in, bringing us into inaction rather than to action. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting, this topic, because, you know, of all the things we've spoken about so far, <laughs> it's the one that is that is uh, we've never done by the way just so everybody knows the reason one of the reasons where I think we're, we're laughing more we've never done it with cameras so it's well so it's it's the little, funny thing is though is and also that, it might sound differently because we're in Los Angeles now as opposed to our usual setup at home and uh, but it also know. feels in some odd like I think that when we do this at home it's just you and I when we still sit face to face our eyes are locked that's all the same but I almost feel like we're on a date, like it's just the two of us. And now I suddenly feel like I'm an audience, which is so silly because we have an audience all the time. That's I just true. don't feel it. So right, right. Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fear is something that we all feel. I think all of us feel it almost every single day, certain levels. And obviously there are times of extreme fear and there are times of, of, uh, of smaller fears. But I think that the way you want to begin your uh, thought about fear and really overcoming them, getting rid of the ones that you really need to and want to and overcoming those that, that are larger, is by saying that fear has a purpose. I think, you know, if you ask, and maybe everybody, all the, our listeners should ask them this question, do I think that fear has a purpose? Why is fear in our lives? You know, I think, again, either because we're not thinking or we just accept it, fear is something we know comes into our lives, but we're not always clear about the fact that it has a purpose. And if you have the spiritual view that nothing comes into my life that does not have a purpose, and ultimately its purpose is either for growth, for change, but ultimately for my benefit, then you have to take a step back and say, okay, if fear, whatever I'm experiencing, the smallest fear that I experience or the greatest fears that I experience, every single one of them has a purpose. Well, it's interesting because you can look at every emotion, right? Why do we have emotions, really? Why do we have sadness and anger and fear and pain? It's, it's an indicator, right? It's to bring us to a certain awareness about ourselves. It's giving us data on what we need to pay attention to. Right. But that, exactly. And but that's the, a, the key is to become an observer, right? You don't want to become a fear-based person. You oh, want to sure be not. able sure to not. recognize 
whatever the emotion is, in this case, we're speaking about fear, and saying, okay, well, what is, what's the opportunity here? What is it telling me? What right. do I need to see? What do I need to pay attention right. to? But I think, again, I like to think of things in order. So in my, to my mind, it has to begin with that, which is, I think, not an intuitive, a naturally intuitive thought that most people have around fear. Right? Most people, I think, experience fear as coming into their lives, unfortunately. You know, it's not something that I want. It's happening to me right now. But in reality, if we accept that there are no coincidences and, and that therefore everything that I am experiencing in my life, in this case, every time I experience fear, there is a purpose for it. There's a purpose for it. That's where, that's where I would begin the understanding. And second, I would say that not only is there a purpose, but and the rest, hopefully the rest of the podcast will talk about you know, more of the purpose of the fears. But ultimately, like you said, we are meant to get to a state where we do not experience fear at all. And if we accept that there's a purpose and that ultimately our lives, and this is really, I think, one of the most important purposes of the spiritual work and the spiritual study is to get me to a place where my experience of fear becomes less and less. And then, so just talking about the purpose, is the, there's a beautiful uh, parable from the Baal Shem Tov, the great Kabbalist, and he say, uses, uses the example of uh, a person who's, who's a friend of the king's. And the king sends messengers to call him when he's having a party, he's having a dinner, and this is one of his best friends. He wants the friend to come to be with him. And he sends messengers to this guy's house, and the guy's knock on the door, and the messengers are having a bad day, so they're kind of upset. So they have like, you know, they have like angry faces on because for whatever reason, their day isn't going well. And they tell him, you know, in sort of a curt, short, short, you know, the king wants you in his house, right? And so the guy, he says, there's two ways to see that, right? One is, oh my God, why are these messengers so upset? Is something really wrong? Is the king angry with me? Is something bad going to happen to me? He says, that's the silly, the Valshanda says, that's the silly view of, of what's happening. The right view is that these are just the messengers. They're not the reason, right? So, they, so the fact that they're angry or not angry, that their fact that your experience of them is, of them being angry, that's not the point. The point is the king wants you to be with him. So what the messenger is that brings you to the king, it's almost not, not important. He says, this is the way to view fear. Each one of us, you know, using the example of the parable of the king, each one of us has another level of our existence that we're meant to achieve. Another level we call it blessings, light, however you want to, to call it. And one of the great pathways by which we get to our next level, by which we get to greater blessings, is by an experience of fear. But the right way to understand it is that the fear that I am experiencing is not solely to keep me in there, but rather, more importantly, it's to call me to a higher level. And that's the way that I try to experience a higher level of of anything, of my life, of my blessing, of my consciousness, of everything that I, that I am. But you right? know, but, most people see fear and they see it as a, a stop sign, right. right? Oh, there's something that's scary here, turn around and run the other way. Right, right, right. But that, I think maybe one of the most important things that people will receive from this podcast is the fact that really begin viewing and, you know, like everything. This is not something you're going to hear once and that's it, you know, fear is gone. But not, not only, you know, we've been experiencing fear for all, all of our lives, hopefully growing from it. But just to be clear, are you saying specifically fear? Why not a different emotion? Why no, could all, sadness be the all of them are. catalyst for that? All of them all are. All of the emotions. Yeah, yeah, all of them are. But fear is one of the biggest ones because it's one of the most constant ones for all people. It's also one that when we feel it, it really stops us and beckons our attention, all of it, right? Like, especially extreme fear, like anxiety or... It's a, it's a danger. It's like fight or flight kicks in, right? And, sure. and I think a lot of it is ancestral, 
you know, if we were afraid of something and we didn't actually fight, right, that would mean death. So I think that a lot of times we're running really old software on what that fear is and our reaction is therefore that way. Right, right. So the third point, so it has a purpose and let's not get stuck in the fear it's meant to bring me somewhere. And the third, and this I think is for me the most powerful one, and one of the more powerful motivators of my own spiritual study and growth, and that is that, and you know, I, you know, you read all the self-help books, and you you can read besides fear is not an option, many books about fear that are I think on what what we try to do often is stay the person that I am, but how can I either mitigate, reduce this fear, and the ultimate goal has to be that I elevate to a different place, consciousness, I elevate to a different experience, and then those fears have no control over me. And I don't think it's possible, I don't think it's possible to ever really get to a state where we eradicate fear for sure, unless we're consistently growing and changing and becoming a different person. And, and you know, I, I experience, and I think, and again, it's a question we have to ask ourselves all the time, if we see ourselves as spiritual people, Am I experiencing less fear than I did a month ago, a year ago, five years ago? Well, usually it's the other way around for people, right? right. The older you... The older you get, the more fears you collect throughout your life. Right. And, you know, there's, a, there's an interesting book, and I always, I'm always uh, a little um, uh, mindful of, of bringing this up, but, you know, there's a lot of people, especially now we're in LA, maybe it's more apropos to talk about it, people use all kinds of, we'll call it them drugs, to get to... I, people use drugs for many different reasons. Yeah, we'll call them drugs certain, or drugs. <laughs> certain, I think we call... What are you, what are you, I'm not sure where you're going with this. Well, well so, so there's people who use ayahuasca, for instance. Neither Monica or I have ever uh, tried that, and I don't think we ever, we ever will. But the point is, they why do people use it to uh, get to a different level of, of consciousness? This actually is something that certainly has great purpose. You know, there, there's a book by Michael Pollan, which I think we might have spoken about before, How to Change Your Mind. And he has a whole... Um, That's brings, with the LSD, right? Really, really, they, they tried under medical supervision, microdosing and things like that. Again, I, I, I want to be very clear that neither... We've but let's tried explain it. why we won't do that. But, uh, but sorry, I, let's, uh, let's go ahead. The point that I wanted to make, and this is, for me, was really beautiful, that the, there was a 60 Minutes episode about this book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. And for me, the most powerful part of that, there was a woman who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And none of us should ever know from this, but one can, I think every single one of us can imagine that the amount of fear and dread that must come to a person's mind when they are told by the doctors um, that there's nothing more that can be done, that this is literally terminal. And this woman took, you know, the, these, these, these drugs in a medical setting and you saw, and then she was interviewed and she literally has no more fear of death. Yeah, that's interesting. And for me, that's, that's, that's where I want to get to and I hope all of our Listeners, but did they explain how she got there? Well, no. She, they usually they use drugs. Uh, yeah, but what was the right? But what is the science behind it? Right. Right. I mean, I think the, so the point is, and this is and this is really my, my point, and I want to talk about you. You want to talk about why we? we well, don't I just do think it. if you make a statement like that, it's easier for people. Are like, well, why wouldn't they do it? And I think it's important to yes, explain. Yes. Yes. But so the point is that when you experience a different level of consciousness, we'll call it, or a different experience of life, then the fears go away. 
the fears, and, and again, the, the reason I can talk about this so so powerfully is because I've experienced it, meaning I've, I've had moments of spiritual elevation, we'll call them, right? Expanded consciousness. And in that moment, you really do not have uh, other fears. And many of the fears that you have otherwise go away. When you have, and I, again, I, I'm assuming that many of our listeners have had, we'll call them, you know, transcendent experiences where whether it's from a song or it's from a movie or it's from a conversation or it's from spiritual work or from spiritual right, it's study, those aha moments it takes to you to a different right. place and and sometimes it lasts like i mean you know you spoke before about uh, you know that there are people who fear death or fear of illness and they, they change the way they they live they change their diet and you know i can say this about myself we try with monica's influence often we listen to podcasts about health and wellness and I know, and I'm sure many of us have experienced this, five minutes, an hour, a day, two days after listening to a podcast about that, you, your mind changes. You, you will do certain things differently. Then, of course, you know, uh, time goes by and you lose, you lose that thread and you go back to your old ways. But the point is, I have experienced, I know you have experienced, and I'm sure many of our listeners have experienced in different ways. For me, it's mainly around the spiritual study and the spiritual work that I do, where you experience a place of existence where fear does not touch. And, right? I mean, mm-hmm. expert, right? I mean, again, different degrees, but I know that I've experienced places through the spiritual experience of study and, and the spiritual work where whatever fear I had before that no longer exists. Again, you come back down into this world, and then, of course, the fears begin rearing their heads again. But as we introduce ourselves to to the at least even the ultimate purpose of eradicating fear i think for me the greatest promise is in transforming ourselves to such a state so it's interesting where because fears can no longer touch us what you're saying is what we're saying all emotions including fear is set up and for us to take the opportunity to grow expand become different by going through the experience, right? So the thing is, when people have fear, they tend to run away from it, avoid it altogether. It's unpleasant, it's uncomfortable. As I explained in the beginning, your heart's racing, your palms are sweaty. It's very, very uncomfortable. It's distinctly unpleasurable, right? But if you allow yourself to actually stare fear straight in the face and say, okay, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? It's like one of the tools, it's a go-to tool in my book then you force yourself now to think of other options and other opportunities and you do that, right? And so instead of feeding the fear and giving energy to the fear, because that's mostly what we do, even by fighting fear, that's still a lot of energy that you're actually working with, you can now choose something else. I don't think that most people do that, right? And that's how you collect the fears going through life. And I think what, what you're explaining about a higher consciousness is so true and so powerful, but I just want to break it down for our listeners. I think that's a really big leap to make from what we encounter day to day, the things that we see, especially now on the news, you know, people dying, which seems more rapidly than ever, whether that is in fact true or not, but that is what we're seeing day in and day out. So I often say again, when you're met with fear, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And also, Go straight through it. Like I can, I can give so many examples um, from how I've done that, and and I have one story with the roller coaster, which is in my book. But I'll share. Sure. So I think it's. I'm I think sure it's I've heard good, it, but well, you were there, and you, oh, I don't well. think you were having fun either. But um, it was shortly after 
we had three kids then. And as I've talked about Josh, who was born with Down syndrome, my adrenal glands were completely shot for a good few years after I gave birth. I also got pregnant three months after he was born with our daughter, Miriam. And uh, my body was also, it just had been through so much. And before that, you know, I called the time before Josh and after Josh. Before Josh, I was like an adrenaline junkie. I think I'm back there again, which I like. Maybe not fully as much. I'm not wanting to jump out of planes anymore, but. I think um, more change junkie than adrenaline junkie. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and also like I was the person that if there was a crisis or there was like blood or I, I'm like, I can handle this, you know, I pull teeth out, like I'm the one, right? But then after I had Josh, I didn't realize how completely opposite I had become for a period of time. And I had an idea that it'd be really fun to go to an amusement park. We hadn't done it in a really long time. Just the two of us? No, oh, with, with, the with the three kids. And I loved roller coasters. I just thought it'd be so great, mm. just like a fun, free day. And yeah, you said, right, you're like, <laughs> I don't really love heights. And I'm like, it's going to be fun. We're going to do it with the kids. It's going to be great. Mm. So I convinced all of us to go on. And we get on the first roller coaster. Do you even remember this? No, where was this? Which um, it was Magic Mountain, and okay. it wasn't Splash Mountain. It's the one with the bear at the top. I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe it was. It wasn't Space Mountain. Anyway, we're inching up, and it's really slow, right? Because this is like building the anticipation for this thrill that's about to happen. And I remember I'm sitting on the left side, and I see this bear like waving at me, and, and it was supposed to be adorable, right? But I remember thinking, this is a sign. It's the last thing I'm ever going to see in my life. It's a sign <laughs> of what's to come. Like it's not going to be. Did you share this with me at the time? I don't. Remember. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I don't know because I think it took me a while to actually fully understand. This is before I wrote the book, right? It was me and my own process at that time, so probably not. And then I had the thought there was like a platform next to the bear, and I thought I can just jump off because we're going slow enough, and the seatbelt's really loose. And I don't have to go on the ride because I was that scared. My heart was beating. I mean, it was like I was scared. And then I caught the thought and I said, oh, my God, you sound crazy. And actually, the thought is scarier than the ride. You are not going to jump off the roller coaster. You will get arrested. You will end up probably like in a mental place for the evening. You'll embarrass your family and I'll never live it down. Right. So, of course, I sat on the ride and we did it. But then what I did that day, I forced myself to go on every roller coaster after that. And it's not that I even enjoyed the first one. Did you force me to go one. with you? I think I did. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> or the second or the third. It's just I knew I would have had a new fear that day if I had given into it, right? And what I believe to be the fear of all fears for all of us, we can assign it to different areas of our lives, is the fear of the unknown. Because that's the thing, like, what is death, right? Of course, we have that fear of losing. We don't want to lose our loved ones. We want to be with them forever. But it's also, where do we go, right? What happens to us? Is it painful? Where does the soul go? Like, these are the things that I spent a lot of time thinking about as a child. And the, you know, and even when my uncle became schizophrenic when I was seven, that in my seven-year-old mind seemingly happened overnight, right? So it was like, okay, well, then what's going to be tomorrow, right? Everything's unknown. And I think that that, again, feeds the fear that we're living in today. Everything feels so uncertain, right. which is, which equates to the unknown, right? That's that thing out there. And I know we're going to talk about the remedy for fear because it's, it's very much related to certainty. But I think that's the biggest thing. And, and as long as we allow ourselves to entertain that, it's, you know, expect fear to be a constant companion. Right. Fear of the unknown and fear of the known that can happen, right? Right. But, you know, what if, you know. But it's still unknown to you, right? right? That so experience. that's the biggest illusion. Right. Because we have enough it, information it, that we know what could happen. But the unknown is, well, will it happen? Is it going to happen to us? It's the undescribable 
unknowable part of life that gets us so tripped up. And I really think that that's why we feed our fear. But if you, for a minute, pause and realize that the only certainty in life is the unknown, we never know what's going to happen. Like, we have a plan in the day. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to do exercise at this time. Then I'm going to go do this. And I'm going to meet that person. And then the day may or may not go that way. We have no idea what's going to happen. Right. The only thing, not to challenge you, but the only no, other... challenge me. But, yeah. dare you. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the only thing that I would, I would add is that... There are fears that we know how they feel because we've experienced them before. We don't want to experience them again, right? So I'll give you an example. My mother was very protective of us growing up. And I, I can't blame Do her. You mean for overprotective? Overprotective. <laughs> you can say overprotective. But I literally remember a few times where, like, she was literally, you know, very distraught because I, you know, me or, or my brother were, were home late or, or, or so on. So, so I would say I either, again, not blaming her, but I have some aspects of that. You've mirrored what you saw. Or, or again, but at the end of the day, you know, it's my responsibility for, so. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> so there have been, there, right, the, the three, I think for me, most terrifying moments of our lives was revolving around the kids, right? There was one, right on. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say our lives, I'm saying terrifying for your life. Well, I the, wasn't scared that time at the beach. Really? No, it's so, laughing. So I'll, Don't so I'll you remember? The, I'll tell the story. So we were. I mean, in, it was a little. I was concerned, obviously, as I'm not like a right, negligent. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was. But <laughs> you were. And by but by the way, when you get scared like that. Let me tell like the story. That, so, okay, the, so so we were in Costa Rica with friends <clears> of ours, <throat> and we were staying in a home in a house that was about let's say a half hour drive from the beach, and one day we're looking over from the house to the to the water. I'd never been to Costa Rica. It seemed you know nice enough. Our David, how old was he at the time? Twelve. No, Younger. I think it was 10, probably. 10. Um, the, the family we were with, they had two daughters who were going down with the, with the surfing instructor to the beach. And they said, why doesn't, because we only, only had one car, we couldn't all fit in the car. Why don't they go, the kids go down first, which was David and the two girls, their two girls. And with the instructor. With the, with the surfing instructor. And we'll join them. The car will then come back, and then we'll join them. So, so we said, sure. So we send David down and, uh, and the two girls. And so it takes a half an hour there, <laughs> half hour back. So then, then it's a half an hour again for us to get down there. So it's an hour and a half has has, has passed from the from the time that they left. We come down to the beach, and the surfing instructor is there, and he, the two girls are next to him. And it's it's about surfboards. to be. It's about dusk, dusk so it's so it's, yeah. getting, it's getting darker, and the waves are significant, and many of them, and um, apparently Costa Rica is known for surf. And uh, anyway, so. Uh, we look for David, we can't find him. Literally telling the story, my heart drops every time I think about this moment. And we can't find him. We go to the instructor, he doesn't know where he is. And I start running up and down the beach. It's getting darker and darker. How long was this? You 20? were hysterical. I don't know. You were very... Yes. And then I'm running after you, but I was laughing. No, no. I'd like some of our <laughs> listeners to, to, to share with us either through the email. I'm, I'm assuming many people would... No, of course. Yes. But you went to like the worst possible place in your mind. Well, he wasn't... The surfing surgeon didn't know where he was. He wasn't on the beach as far as we could look for him. Um, anyway, so this went on for probably, what, 20, 20, I don't know, minutes. 20 minutes, running up and down the beach, up and down the beach. It's getting darker and darker. It was almost sunset by the time. I think it was probably past sunset. Uh, by the time we finally realized he was somewhere down on the beach on the side. By himself. By himself, yeah. exactly. So besides the fact that we were irresponsible parents. But my uh, point is this, to challenge you. That, yeah, but, yeah. Okay. You being out of your mind in that moment and so fear-based, did that help you find him? In fact, but I don't even think that you can you could see all the things you could see had fear not fully 
taken over in that moment. I completely agree. But my point is and was that then, because there were two other times that that we that the Salagers we're going to do a podcast on parenting next <laughs> just to prove that we're not irresponsible parents. But there was another time, and this was David was much younger that we lost sight of him for a few minutes. For, but it wasn't even that long. But yes. yes, and he was in a he was in a slide that you couldn't see. It's like he had to come out from the other end, right? So yeah. But the point being, so the, one of the reasons that I, I am uh, vigilant whenever we're at a beach or at a at a um, amusement park with the kids is because I've experienced what it's like, you know, not having sight of your kids, in you know, young kids. Um, in so my point, my only point was you, you the fear of the unknown. I think sometimes it's the fear of something we've experienced that we don't want to experience again. And I'm not saying it's the right thing. Obviously. What, we're, what we want to talk about is being able to elevate completely out of the realm of fear. Yes, and, and you are evolved. But let's say, the, let's use this, let's say somebody else, right? And they have a fear around their children, an extreme one. Right. So much so that it stops them from actually enjoying day-to-day right. things, trips together, life. They don't even let their kids go out because they have this knowing of what has happened or what could happen, right? Through small experiences that felt big at the time. And therefore, they're living a fear based existence and that also takes away from a lot of joy in living. Absolutely. Now again, this isn't after you because you are more elevated in that way, but this is where fear can go. For sure. And my point is that especially in the areas that are familiar to us that we've tasted that, I think that's when you go full on and say, "Okay, I am not going to allow this fear to dictate or rule me." Right. And you and you're really it. and you're really great at that. The way you actually like to jump into the fear. I remember I actually shared this in one of our uh, fear lectures. There's a book which I really like the title of. I asked, the book was also good, but the title was "The Places That Scare You." Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really your message, which is that that really, in order to grow, in order to achieve, you have to be jumping into the places that scare you. But but I did want to say again, and kind of bring it back to to what I think is, for me, certainly one of the most important thoughts around fear. In that is that in order to really eradicate fear, you have to awaken to what is trust or certainty in the bigger picture. So let's get to one of the questions we yes. got around it, surrounding this topic. She writes, 10 years ago at 34, I had melanoma. I had two tiny kids and it was incredibly scary. Since then, I've been very diligent about getting checked and taking care of myself. In the past few months, I've had two more precancerous moles removed. My head and my heart are having a battle around this. I know how important it is to stay positive and take care of myself. I believe with certainty that there are lessons and growth in every experience, and I must have more to learn around this or it wouldn't be happening again. On one hand, I trust this. On the other, I'm petrified, and I feel like my body is just a giant skin cancer waiting to happen. This thought won't get me anywhere, and I don't want to somehow manifest more bad with thoughts like this. I'm just having trouble reconciling it. How can I release the residual fear and step even more fully into faith when it feels so scary? It's like I know in my head what to do, but I can't get it to 100% translate because there's a lot of fear around it. I hope this makes sense. Wow, it's a very powerful story and a very powerful question. And I think that this is something that, to some degree or another, we all will experience in life. At the end of the day, and this is why I think overcoming fear through growth is one of the most important things we need to do, we must do. If we understand that fear, and certainly these types of fear, fear of death, 
fear of leaving behind family, children, young children, the scariest things that we can imagine. And unfor- I, I don't want to say unfortunately, I think we've all imagined them. I don't think there's anybody listening to this podcast right. who hasn't, whether, whether, whether because they've gone through something or simply for other reasons, have, have had these thoughts. Terms had, of Endearment, that movie. I've never seen it. I never will. Ever, I, will I can never, never watch it, it again. Yes. It crushed me. I watched yes. it as a child. When I, and this is what makes me, as I said before, so certain in, in this prescription, that I have had, as we all had, moments of fear and then moments of transcending that fear through spiritual study, spiritual work, and spiritual elevation. I, I don't know of another way of really being able to get to a state where we overcome fears and ultimately, I believe, completely eradicate them from our lives without achieving a higher level of consciousness. And once you experience it in small doses, you can then expand that to believe that you can actually eradicate fear completely. So that means that Unless you can get, you know, you can read all the self-help books and you can get all kinds of great tips, how to get through this fear, how to get through that fear. But you cannot completely eradicate fear. And I don't, not even sure you can even truly overcome many of our life fears that are so common to every human being, unless you are expanding your consciousness. What does that mean? First, get to a state where you really trust we can Kabbalists often call it the creator. People like to call this force the universe. That there is a system, that there is a process that is set forth for my soul, and that it's for ultimately for my benefit. Ultimately for my benefit. Doesn't mean that I'll get everything that I want or that everything will work out as I want it from where I am now. But that ultimately it is it is for my benefit. That's the first. And the second is that and you know we use these terms a lot and my father would the rab would often use this term you know the illusion of this world and i think it was einstein who said that this is a, that that our world is a very persistent illusion but an illusion nonetheless but we buy into it we we believe because this is what our daily experience is that this is all that there is and 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 everything that my eyes see my hands touch that's what there is but then you have those moments of transcendence that I've experienced, that you've experienced, that I believe almost all of our listeners have, which means that we can get to a state where it doesn't bother us, even death. Like I said before, for me, that is the most powerful thing that, that, that I know, and this is where I hope to get to in my spiritual work, where I get to a state where I am not afraid of death at all because I experience a realm where that fear does not make me upset or sad or, or in any way feeling a sense of darkness, right? Unless you're getting there, unless you're getting there, unless, unless, unless you make your life's work on getting there to a different perspective, to a different consciousness, then not only with this person asking the question, every single one of us is going to experience this fear and more. So for me, one of the most powerful motivators today, as I sit here now, and I hope, you know, throughout my life, to continue to grow and to change and to achieve a higher, more expansive state of consciousness is because I want to eradicate fear. I want to eradicate the fear of death. I want to eradicate the fear of, of, of heaven forbid, losing a loved one. I want to eradicate all the fears that I have experienced and that I will ever experience. And it's possible. How do I know it's possible? 
because I've experienced eradicating smaller fears. If I can experience the eradication of smaller fears through this process of, of expanding my thought, my consciousness, my through my spiritual work, I believe I can completely remove all fears with intense continual growth. So not necessarily answering all the questions, but I think what I would say is you can get to a state where you have completely removed these fears. And I believe that by deepening your understanding and, and elevating your consciousness, a transcendent consciousness, and I hope, you know, I'm always concerned when I speak of these higher um, concepts that, you know, maybe I'm not explaining them properly or, or they're too far beyond where most of us are, but, but I feel very strongly that this is the only ultimate way to get to a place where we can eradicate fear. Well, obviously, I, I totally agree with you. Um, Do you think I've explained it? it was, it's clear? I, mean, I think that it's very lofty. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to try to bring it down a bit because I can really relate to her question, especially as a mother. Um, so the first thing I would say is you need, each one of us individually needs to ask ourselves when we find our, our state of consciousness here that's consumed with worry and doubt and fear, is what is fear stealing from you? Because if you spend your time and energy in this space uh, because something bad has happened and it could happen again, and in fact, the chances of it happening again are greater for me because it happened in the first place, it's going to steal something. And ultimately, you know, it's going to steal your potential of what you could become, what you could do, right? Because everything you're speaking about is an elevation in consciousness. And that's how you get to the ultimate place of eradicating fear. But when you're so busy in the space of fear, especially because you have trauma, because you've experienced that before in that specific space that she's sharing, then you're not putting energy and time and thought into what you could become. It's too, it's, you're too busy kind of controlling this. So that's one thing. And then I was thinking as she was... Sorry, babe, you, I don't mean to cut you but right, there's two things which really resonated with me. It's, one is that it will hold it can it will hold you back or detract from what you're meant you, to do where, what you're meant to do where you're, you're meant, meant to, to go be. and who you're meant to be but it also steals the current moment of joy of happiness and i remember i literally like had, i was thinking when she wrote yeah. that she had it 10 years ago and her kids were little so in the la- and then in the last 10 years how many times did this thought this fear steal moments away from right. the now the pleasures of this life Right, right. What you're saying, again, not for the person asking the question, I would say for, for the listeners, is that, again, almost even if, heaven forbid, the fear comes into effect, manifests, the moments that you lost aren't coming back anyway. Exactly. And I actually remember... Like I, you're worrying about something that may or may never happen, right? But, so, but certainly stealing today. Exactly. I'll share with you, so I don't think I shared this with you. Just a few weeks ago, one of our kids wasn't feeling well. And well, you know, I think I would know if they weren't feeling well. No, no, you knew they weren't feeling well. But you weren't aware of what was going on in my mind. So <laughs> so, uh, so she wasn't feeling well. And then I remember, like, you know, as, uh, again, I would say probably more, more of an overproductive father than a well, parent than, than others. But anyway, so I remember experiencing, you know, the, you know, low-level fears, not, 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 nothing extreme. And I remember the next day when she was feeling better, I said to myself, wow, you know, regardless of what happened the second day, the next day, yesterday could have been a better day. 
if I had not experienced those fears. It could have been a better day for me too. I remember your face that day. You were like so <laughs> but the point distracted. Being, right, okay, okay. But the, my point <laughs> being, the point being, again, that, that nothing positive comes. Nothing positive comes. And it doesn't change anything. It doesn't Nothing, change no the change occurs. It just adds chaos. Exactly. As a matter of fact, almost definitely we can say that there is a loss of happiness, enjoyment, pleasure from the days and the moments that we allow fear. Even if they're logical, certainly if they're illogical, certainly if they're based on something, if they're baseless, they're stealing. Right? Which That's I, right. I, 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 they it's, do it's nothing. Very, again, but I do think that we need to spend time and work on ourselves to really be able to, to, to elevate out of them. So here's the thing, though. In other parts of our lives, we go to great measures to make sure nothing's stolen from us. This is the irony, right? We lock our houses. We put our, monies in the, our money in the bank. We put our jewelry in safe deposit boxes. We lock our bikes even, right? We go to great extents to protect the things that we think are valuable. But when it comes to ourselves, we really do let fear steal all the time. And one way that I've worked with people to get them to be able to stop that is to look at your life, the way you're living it, think about all the fears that you have, right? That you're living with day to day. And imagine how your life will be one year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, if you keep feeding the fear. Just picture your life, right? And I have them really like feel that, like bring it, make it really visceral. And then I say, okay, now let's say you've worked to eradicate the fear, right? You're not going to feed it anymore. What does your life look like one year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? And I think that's a very sobering thought. I think that, by the way, I think that's terrifying and I think that's a good fear to have, right? Because when you look at it that way, you're like, wait a second, I'm not willing to waste any more time here. The other thing I wanted to share, um, with the person that wrote in is that, you know, when we had Josh, I was terrified that I would have another child with Down syndrome, right? And the chances of having another child with Down syndrome are far greater after having had one. And for us, it was a fluke, right? I was 27, does not run in our families. It just happened. So I had a choice to make then, right? And I and I had anxiety for the first few months. It was really like, I don't know how I'm gonna deal with this, remember? And then it got better, was one day I could sleep, one night I couldn't, and then it was two days and then one, right? But I, the first chance that we could um, be together, I made the decision, well, we made the decision, but really like I was terrified to try again, because I knew if not, again, that same thing with the roller coaster, which is such such an insignificant example compared to this, but I knew that if I didn't try to have another baby, I probably wouldn't have had more children because fear really would have kicked in. I would have been feeding that and nurturing that and your body then responds to that. So even if one day, let's say I had the desire and I was able to choose that over the fear, my body probably wouldn't have allowed it to happen anyway at that point. And sure enough, we got pregnant the first time. So. In those nine months, I mean, I was very scared still, you know, and I remember we had this conversation and I said, well, you know, this could happen again. You're like, no, it's not going to happen again. I said, no, people do get struck by lightning more than once. You're like, no, not really. I said, no, it's true. So, of course, I Googled it and I was like, this guy got struck nine times. I think it was like nine or ten, some crazy number. I'm like, it can happen. So I kept looking for ways to prove that this could happen again. And I think that that was my way of kind of controlling the fear, like being in the driver's seat, which obviously doesn't work. But at the time, that's what I was holding on to. And um, and I remember it. And we talked about this, too. I didn't feel it was my doctor's fault, but I needed a lot of attention. And I just felt like 
the way that things were communicated after we understood his diagnosis, it just left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So I said, okay, you know what? He's a great doctor, but let me just explore. So we went on three different interviews, remember? Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I asked some girlfriends, you know, can you give me referrals? The first doctor we went to um, smelled of onion. And I remember now, I forgot about that. I just, I walked in, I was like, I gotta get out of here. I just, I could not, just onion everywhere. The second doctor was so old, I thought he might not be alive by the time I was gonna give birth. <laughs> and then the third doctor was the most entertaining at my expense. And um, we went into her office, and it's in the building was this weird building that, like, you there's just a door and just nothing. We actually else. just walked by the building. No signage, even, right? Right. And we walked in, and uh, we go into her office, and there are frogs everywhere glass frogs, figurines. She even had a little frog pendant on her jacket that was eyeballing me the whole time. She clearly was obsessed with frogs. And I told her the history that this was the third. Uh, pregnancy and about Josh and my fears even and uh, and my hopes for this new pregnancy and she looked at me straight in the face and she said you with your shit luck no more baby for you <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking wait and I said I don't think you understand that maybe she because her English wasn't so great I'm like no no you don't understand baby in my stomach I'm pregnant I'm and I'm pointing right and at this point, you are hysterically laughing. You're bright red. And she said, no, no more baby for you. And you got up and laughed. And I'm sitting there because you were laughing so hard. And I'm just looking at her like, so needless to say, my first That's the doc- one we chose. My doctor, my original doctor, I decided I was just going to go back and have an honest conversation with him about my expectations. But when it comes to fear here, see, if I didn't actually face it, right, challenge it, and say, okay, I want to be able to become somebody else in this process. And I grew tremendously in the pregnancy with Merriman and the birth, because that's really when I understood how far I had come in that nine months. I remember when I was giving birth to her, which is the hardest part for me. And I always wanted to have a natural pregnancy without any drugs, any kind of intervention. And I almost did it with her. I did it with Abigail, our fourth, but I almost did it with Miriam. And I remember that at one point, my blood pressure dropped, hers did. They had given me um, they'd given me Pitocin and my body had a very bad reaction. And I remember as my heart, because I could feel really out of it, you and I saw your face and you were super concerned and scared. And I, I remember- didn't, I didn't read your fears, not at all. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, I surrender, that I am completely yours. And I was speaking to the creator that if this is my time, of course I don't want to die, and I cry now, but if this is what's meant to be, I'm yours. Like I, I surrender, right? And I never had that. I never had such a peaceful feeling in, that in my whole life, where I just became one with where I came from and where I would ultimately go back to. And that was the expansion in consciousness. And I think then, when I had Abigail, I was working with the Creator. Like we were partners in her delivery, and I didn't have any drugs, and then I labored mostly at home until I gave birth. So. You absolutely, for me, with all of my pregnancies and all of their births, I was able to see how you can actually, by expanding your consciousness, by connecting to certainty, eradicate fear. Now, to maintain it is obviously work, but those are the highs, right? right? I mean, there's a few few things that really brought, really both resonated with me and brought up really, I think, important points that we 
tell ourselves that we can control everything. And fear is, oh no, but this is the one thing I don't think I can control right now. Oh my God, right? The real reality is that we control almost nothing. I mean, we don't control our breath, we don't control our life, we don't control our kids. So either you are terrified at every moment or ultimately get to a state where you're not scared ever. And I think when you talk about surrender, because we are surrendering every moment anyway, right? When I, when I take a breath right now, am I, am I in control of that breath? Of course not. My, my body, and, right, and we, we believe the, there's a creator, there's a force that is not only assisting me to be able to breathe and be alive from second to second, but also you know, that, that, is, that is both in, in, in navigating my life, my children, my health, and so on and so forth. We can control almost nothing. So what does that mean? It means that you really have to surrender to life, right? And not... Into the process of life, I think. Into the process. You have to believe, you have to trust the process of life. It doesn't mean everything's going to be exactly as you want it, nor will it be um, uh, directed by your current desire, but that ultimately it's for your benefit and for your family's benefit and for your soul's benefit. But that we really control very little. And that ultimately, what I call an expansive consciousness, transcendent experience, surrender, all those are the same. It's a different way of living. It's a different way of living. And, and not, again, again, not to be too lofty, again, because we all, I think, you know, you know straddle those two worlds of, of, of real consciousness, of surrender, of, 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 of having trust and certainty that, that there is a powerful force that is helping direct my life and that I have very little, and falling to, oh my God, I need to be able to control this doctor's appointment. But if you really have, and I think this is just a truthful view of our lives, that I can control very little. I can control very little of what, what, who my children become. I can control very little about my, 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 my life and how, how it goes. Of course, there are things that we can't control, and we need to invest the time and effort in those, not to discount I mean, that. Even this, like if you start a business, you don't know if it's going to flourish. If you have a child, you don't know if they're going to thrive, right? We make a lot of assumptions in life, and we base our lives around those assumptions. When we wake up, actually, is when we realize that those assumptions are false, right. right? When those crack, and then you kind of get our, our attention. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can choose to expand your consciousness and connect your, grow your certainty, simply by making different choices every day. Right. Ones that are not based in illusions. Right. And assumptions. Right. And it, again, to me, it's almost silly what we arbitrarily decide to be the thing that we are fearful about, right. right? You're on a plane and you're suddenly terrified, oh my God, is this plane going to crash? Because there's a bump suddenly, yeah. right? A really but, bad turbulence. But you're then. not afraid, oh my God, how am I taking my next breath? You are as control of both of those things. We're going to sleep at night. Yeah, I mean, wake who up. says you're going to wake up in the morning? Exactly. Yeah. So, so the point is, for me, I often like to, although I think taking the spiritual uh, understanding is the next step. But first start with logic. Logic dictates you either are terrified of everything or you're terrified of nothing. Because you, there is much more, by the way, it's much more logical that you're afraid, oh my God, where's my next breath coming from? That my body's gonna actually do it because I know that I can't control that as it is of, after the bump on the flight. Uh, it's more, right, you should be more scared about your next breath than the bump on the flight than, oh my God, you know, what's gonna happen to the flight? And therefore, I don't think there's any way to live Unless you are growing in, you know, consciousness, in experience, in, in, in surrender. 
And um, again, just to the one, the one thing I wanted to say to the person um, who's sending the question that I think often when you realize that you are not alone in an experience, it gives you greater strength. And to you, I say, I would say most of us have either experienced in some way or another what you're going through or will experience it. And so you're certainly not alone. It just in, might be in, in a in different box, but exactly. we all have the exact same feelings around this. And I think, and this is why, and we believe consciousness is so important. Monica gave a few really, I think, powerful ways by which we can overcome the fear. But first, begin with the understanding is you can overcome the fear. That you can live a life, I know this about myself, I know you believe this about yourself, and, and the person asking the question, and all of our listeners, you have to first believe, I can actually live a life where there is no fear. Zero fear. Yes, it takes work, and yes, spiritual growth, everything we spoke about until now. But you have to begin there. Absolutely, and I want to just share um, this one last thing with our listener who, who wrote in. It's an affirmation to replace fear with certainty, trust, and love. And I think affirmations are really powerful because, like we spoke about a few weeks ago, you know, if you say something enough, you're going to believe it. So make sure that you're choosing what you want to repeat over and over again. This is it. I'm fully capable of handling any challenges that arise in my day and my life. I trust everything that happens to me is for my greatest good. Fear is not an option. I have total and complete trust in the Creator. I choose to connect to the light in every situation. Fear is not an option. I meet every event and circumstance with certainty. It will work out for the best. I am whole and complete. Fear is not an option. I can achieve my greatest goals and dreams. I am living in and as my truest self. Fear is not an option. Beautiful. Uh, also, not if everybody knows this, Monica read from her book, Fears are an option, so I would strongly recommend every single person listening to this to get that book. But I want to share one thing. You know, one of the things that I, one of the tools that I use uh, whenever there is fear and anybody asks me for a tool, this I think it's a very uh, powerful Kabbalistic tool. We know that Kabbalistically there, there are different letter combinations. Um, one of the most powerful that draw light. And again, we're probably going to have a, a podcast about meditation and using these tools. But there's what's called the Tetragrammaton, four letters that are conduits of the light of the Creator. So whenever anybody comes to me and says, what, what is a tool that you can give me to overcome a fear? It's to meditate upon these four letters and to see light coming out of those letters and that light surrounding you with the light of protection, with the light of health, with the light of certainty, the Yud Kevavke or the Tetragrammaton, and again, you envision that if you you know if you if you can in your in your mind, or you want look at it on the page and then close your eyes and see light coming out of it that surrounds you, that protects you. And I I know for myself, and I know for many people that I've given this tool to, that is a very very powerful tool. That yeah. we actually should actually you know King David, the ancient biblical patriarch, said that you should put these four letters in front of your eyes all the time. And, and I know for myself, again, this is one of the most powerful tools to remove fear. You see those four letters, and you envision, meditate upon, light coming out of them that surrounds you, that surrounds you with the light of the Creator, that surrounds you with the protection, that surrounds you and removes any type of darkness, any type of fear. The final thing I'd like to share is actually a quote from Kipling, which I find both very powerful 
and as it relates to fears. Of all the liars in the world, sometimes the worst are your own fears. That's and powerful. that I think is I think a thought that we want to leave our listeners with that fear is really a lie. And it is often a lie that we allow to steal so much from our lives. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to more episodes. And please continue to send your questions into Monica and Michael at Kabbalah.com and we can we continue to uh, get to as many of them as possible throughout these podcasts. And um, I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast as much as we enjoy recording it. And most importantly, I really, you know, hope that from listening to this podcast, every single listener gets at least a little bit of either consciousness or a thought that can remove even if it is a small fear from their lives. Well, what I feel really strongly about is now get up in this moment and take one step towards eradicating fear. What are you afraid of? Go out and do it. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. it. Bye.